this week on Pointing the Way with Pastor Shad Smith. Pointing the Way, a ministry of the Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. We pray you will find direction for living as we look into the Word of God today. On this subject, a sickness in the family. A sickness in the family. I woke up this morning, my wife told me that my daughter was running a fever. Sometimes there is a sickness in the family. You hear that uh, in prayer request times. Pray for us. We've got a sickness in the family. Well, in Hebrews chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews is talking to his spiritual family, the church. He's talking to them about a spiritual sickness. You see, just as it's possible for you to have a physical sickness in your physical home, it's also possible to have a spiritual sickness in the spiritual family, the family of God. And in Hebrews chapter 5, what we find is the family of God has been examined and a sickness has been seen. This is the third of... Uh, five warning passages in the book of Hebrews. The first warning passage was about drifting uh, in your Christian life, neglecting or appreciating your salvation. They weren't making all of their salvation that they should have been. The second warning was about doubting the Word of God and fulfilling to claim, failing to claim God's promises for victory in the Christian life. And this third warning is concerning a sickness that has got in the family that has stunted their growth. Sometimes in the spiritual family, the family of God, there can be a, a growth hindrance in people's lives because of a certain sickness. And this morning, we're going to talk about this sickness in the family. I'll not keep you long, but I want us to be uh, clear today that uh, the Holy Ghost inspired God's Word. It was written to a real church in the first century here to the Hebrew people, and it's just as applicable to the church here in the 21st century. And I want you to listen to what God is saying. Maybe God will speak to your heart today as He did these Hebrews. I want you to notice, first of all, in this sickness in the family, the first thing that happens is the sickness is discovered. The sickness is discovered. Look with me at verse 11 in Hebrews chapter number 5. Speaking of Jesus, He says, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is he's saying, I've got so much I want to tell you about Jesus, but I can't get to it yet because there's something standing in the way of your understanding of these deeper things. Something is hindering us from going on to maturity. And at the end of verse 11, he tells them what the problem is, what the sickness is. He discovers it. He says, seeing ye are dull of hearing. Say that phrase with me. Dull of hearing. What dull of hearing means, we don't talk like that much anymore, but what dull of hearing means is that you're just a lazy listener. A lazy listener. It's like kind of being in a room, somebody's talking to you, and you kind of just nod at them. You uh, say, uh-huh, you patronize them, but you're not really listening to what they, what they say. Well, the Hebrews had already been warned about this kind of giving God a nod after they got saved. They've been warned about this in two other passages of Scripture. But the truth was, when God spoke to them after they got saved, they did not want to be led by the Scriptures. They did not want to be led by the Spirit. Uh, they got held behind them like the, uh, the family sung about. But now they just say, let us live our life until we get to heaven. 
We don't want to be led by the Spirit. We don't want to be led by the Scriptures. We want to be led by ourselves. So they just give a nod when God would uh, speak His Word to them and they would go on. They were dull of hearing. A lot of times we blame spiritual decline and spiritual a lack of spiritual growth. A lot of people blame it on dull preaching. I'm not going to argue with you there. I've sat through some dull sermons. I've preached some dull sermons. Some of y'all sit out there and think, boy, I'll be glad when he's done. How'd you like to be up here giving the sermon and think, I'm glad, I'll be glad when I'm done? You know, sometimes it is a boring sermon. The, the, the word's not boring, but sometimes preachers are boring. Or sometimes you'll be in a service and you'll say, boy, I wish they'd sing something else. Or that, that, that choir needs to get some life about it. The, the service would be better. We'd grow more if we just get, some, uh, get rid of the dullness in the preaching and singing. But listen, preaching can be dull. Singing can be dull. But listen, it's not always the preaching and the singing. Sometimes the listening can be dull. You understand what I'm talking about? A lazy listener. You get lazy toward the Bible. You hear the Bible. You hear it so much, there's no enthusiasm about it anymore. No response to it. You see it. You hear it. goes in one ear, out the other. No wonder Jesus said over and over again, He that hath an ear, let him hear. It's one thing to hear, to, to, to listen and to take it in. Lazy listening is not an intellectual problem this morning. It's not that these people uh, have some sort of learning disability. The problem is apathy. They just heard it so much, uh, they don't want to hear any more of it. they got all of Jesus they want. What do most people come to Christ for? I don't want to go to hell, right? They, they, they get to that point. They, they get the get-out-of-hell card, so to speak. They've experienced Jesus at that initial level of conversion. But going much further beyond that, a lot of people are actually afraid that they might become sort of some sort of religious fanatic. Do you know what a religious fanatic is? It's just somebody that's more excited about Jesus than you are. Y'all all right? That's just the truth about it. These people aren't fanatical here. They've just got a sickness. The sickness discovered is their laziness in hearing what God says and responding to it. Notice number two how the sickness is described. A sickness described. In verses 12 and 13, he'll give us the, the diagnosis, or he's already given us the diagnosis, and now he's going to tell us these are the symptoms that led us to understand what the sickness is. He says in verse 12, for when for the time, now that means some time has passed since they got saved. Now that uh, they're saved, they're, they're, they're on the road to heaven, hell is behind them. But some time has passed. We understand that when you get saved, there's a, there's a whole lot you don't know about Christian living in Christ on the day you get saved. I'm, I'm just being totally honest with you. The day I got saved, all I really knew was I wasn't going to hell. I, I'm not worried about going to hell anymore. That's fine, the day you get saved. But after that, successive days after that, there's so much more to move uh, forward to, move ahead in. That's why uh, we tell people that the initial step of, uh, of the Christian life is when you get saved, then you come and immediately, immediately come and uh, profess your faith in Christ and publicly be baptized. That's the first step after you get saved. Some people get saved, they never get baptized and wonder why they don't mature beyond that. If you're in the room today, you say, I didn't really know it was that important. Now you do. The first step when you get saved is baptism. You come and publicly profess Christ and not be ashamed of Him. You get baptized and then you move on to maturity. Some people can't get mature as Christians because they never, they never even got baptized after they got saved. They're keeping their faith in the closet. 
then after baptism, you, uh, you, you, you get into a Sunday school class, a Bible class, and you get around other Christians so you can learn from them. You've got a responsibility to grow. The church family's got a responsibility to help you grow, uh, to encourage you, to be patient with you. And some people, they get saved, and they start growing immediately. I mean, I mean, they just catch a fire in the book. Uh, I mean, they go everywhere with the Bible, and it gets in their heart. And, man, I mean, they'll get saved. And I was talking to somebody this week. He said, when I got saved, he said, uh, right after I got saved, he said, every night I was in a revival meeting somewhere or going to a singing somewhere. I just couldn't get enough of it. And that's how they begin to mature and how they begin to grow. And then some people, they get saved, and then they get dull of hearing. They get lazy in their hearing. They want Jesus to save their soul, but... Leave me alone to lead my own life, and 15, 20 years goes by, and they're not much different than they were the day they got saved. The writer of Hebrews says, for when, for the time. In other words, it's way past time now, you Hebrews. Y'all been saved long enough. You, you ought to be growing at some point. He says in verse 12, for when, for the time, you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. What he is saying is you have not got past the moment of getting saved. Now, I, love hear, I love to hear people say, I never got over getting saved, because I've never gotten over get, getting saved. But friend, why you don't get over getting saved, you do need to get past getting saved. Get past that point. Come out when we were in elementary school. You remember, the, uh, they, they don't, I don't know if many of them do it anymore. My, my kids get paper printouts at the end of nine weeks or whatever. We used to actually get a card. And, uh, you know... I, I think I've still got one of those cards somewhere, and uh, they would grade us on, on math and, and reading and science. And then, you remember the day when they used to grade your conduct? You ought to bring that back, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and then on the back of the card, your mom would have to sign it and take it back, and they'd send it. And at the end of the year, they would have down there that bottom blank, you'd wait to get that last report card, and you'd turn it over, and it would either say, you have been promoted or you've been retained. And you always wanted to see when you got to the end of the year, you flip that card over and it would say, you've been promoted to the second grade. That means you passed everything in the first grade and you got promoted to the next level. Look here at verse number 12. The Hebrews can't get promoted to second grade because they keep flunking first grade. He says in verse 12, you're become as such as have need of milk, not a strong meat. The milk, that, that's baby food. We all understand you're supposed to have a desire for the sincere milk of God's Word. A, a person that's truly born again, uh, they, they want milk. You don't have to tell a baby to crave milk. They just, they just want it. And milk's good. It's the simple truth. You know, I, I'm 41 years old. One, one day this week, I just went to the refrigerator. I got, got some, uh, some of those chocolate chip cookies. And what I pour? I just poured a big glass of milk. And then I got some more cookies and I poured. I had two glasses of milk in one sitting. See, I, I'm 41. I still love a good glass of milk, but I can't survive on milk alone. Suppose we go down to Longhorn Steakhouse this evening, and God lays it on your heart to go buy your preacher a ribeye steak. <laughs> Suppose we get down there, and everybody's ordering the ribeye, and you're telling them how you want it done, how you want it cooked. The waiter comes around to me and says, well, what will you be having? I say, I'll just have a glass of milk. Let me tell you what's happened. I'm sick. That's the only thing that can explain that. I'm sick. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. 
He says, everyone in verse 13 that useth milk is unskillful in a word of righteousness, for he is a babe. When you, when you stay on this milk diet, something's, something's wrong. I've been saved over 35 years. I still like a, a, a little bit of milk in the, in the preaching and a little bit of milk in the devotion. I still like to hear that I'm not going to hell and that Jesus went to the cross and died for me to save me from my sins. But I can't grow just on those things alone anymore. There's so much more that he wants to teach me of himself. You need to ask yourself this morning, am I still sucking on the bottle? Or have I moved now to solid food? And if you haven't moved to solid food, it's because you've got lazy of hearing, dull of hearing. In fact, he says here, some of you ought to be at the place now where you're able to teach other people. But you haven't learned it yourself. If you stay a baby your whole Christian life, let me tell you what's going to happen. Not only are you not going to be a help to other people, but it's not going to take much for the devil to just thump you and you're down. You'll become a non-factor in the battle. But when you get a desire to grow and start to get deeper in the things of God, God will give you a power, a power to live for Him and to glorify Him. If the Holy Ghost shows you this morning in the invitation, hey, I want you to move on. You've been at a standstill for too long in your Christian life. It's time to come to that next level. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to come and just kneel on an altar and, and say, Lord, I want more. I want more. I want more. I want to do more. Know you at a deeper level. He's not holding back on you. Just say, Lord, I give more of myself to you. Do that today. A sickness described. In verse 14 down through chapter 6, verse 3, we see lastly the sickness dealt with. You want to grow, you want to get rid of the sickness in the family, the sickness has to be dealt with. We've already established what the sickness is. Dullness of hearing. They've gotten lazy with how they treat the Word of God. There's apathy in their Christian life. And this sickness has stunted their growth, leaving them in a feeble, baby-like state of immaturity. The babies are cute when they're little, and they're supposed to be little. Nothing cute, however, when they're 20 years old and they're still infantile. It's not cute. not cute anymore. There's a sickness here. What do we do about this sickness? Verse 14 tells us, Strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. There's two stages in contrast here of the Christian life. The initial stage when you get saved, being born again, starting out on the milk, and then that growing, that maturing stage uh, in, in having a desire for the meat of the Word of God. Now, if you want to know which stage you're in this morning, You've got to ask yourself this question and be honest and give yourself an honest answer. Don't answer this out loud, but just give yourself an honest answer to this question. Do I honestly have a desire to let the Scripture of God and the Spirit of God transform my life to the point where I will respond to what the Scripture of God and the Spirit of God say? May I ask that question again? Do I desire to let the Scriptures of God and the Spirit of God transform my life so much that I'm willing to respond to the Scripture of God and the Spirit of God? Or am I just going to let it come in one ear, go out and say that was for somebody else? Verse 14 says, Strong meat belongeth to them that are full age. In other words, if you're going to be growing, you've got to get past the milk. The milk. And when that happens and you get on the meat, verse 14 will tell you what will start happening in your life. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. 
You see somebody's been saved 25 years, 30 years, 40 years. You say, why are they acting like that? Why are they still doing those things? Why, why, why didn't their life change? Because they're still a baby. They, they can't even exercise their spiritual sense to discern good and evil. But when you begin to grow in the Word of God, your spiritual sense begins to grow. You, you begin to understand that I don't do things that don't glorify God, and I need to start doing things that do glorify God. But you can't grow like that if you won't listen, if you have that spiritual sickness. Now, he's going to show us how to deal specifically with the spiritual sickness beginning in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on. To perfection. The word perfection there means maturity. Doesn't mean doesn't mean sinless perfection. You understand, you're going to sin in this life. Uh, nobody's going to be perfect here until we get to heaven with that glorified body. But he's talking about moving on to maturity. He says you can't do that without meat in your diet. Some Christians, let me give you this example. Some Christians get saved and for 25, 30, 40 years still wrestle still wrestle with the same sins that they wrestled with the day they got saved. And what they're saying by their life is, I believe Jesus can save me from hell, but He's not big enough to whoop this sin in my life. And there's absolutely no victory in their life. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus went to the cross to save you from the penalty of sin. That is justification. But He also, day by day, is saving us from the power of sin, and that is sanctification. In other words, I'm not sinless, but the longer I grow and mature, I should sin less. Less. You grow in Christ, and you mature in Christ, you, you're going to start seeing some victory in your lives over things that you didn't used to have victory over, over that hot temper, or that, that lying tongue, or that worried mind, or that sinful habit. And God will start to give you victory as you mature in the faith. If you're ever going to do that, you've got to move past those fundamental doctrines. The end of verse 1 down to verse 2, he's going to tell you what you've got to believe and get behind you. Number one, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. That's, that's the elementary foundation of, of Christianity right there, the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. How do you get saved? Repentance and faith. That's talking about getting saved. You've got to get saved. You've got to start right there. Get your salvation nailed down. Some of you are just continually doubting your salvation. You've got to get that nailed down in your life. Drive down a stake. You say, I'm here today, preacher. I think I'm saved, but I'm really, really struggling with it. Well, honey, come to an altar today. Drive down a peg and say, I don't know what happened in 1983, but I'm sure going to leave on that March Sunday in 2019 knowing from this point forward I'm saved. You've got to get that taken care of. Get that taken care of. Then he tells us, once you get that taken care of, then you move past that, verse 2, basic principles of the doctrine of baptisms laying on of hands. Now these two, actually you've got to understand this a little bit, these are, these are symbolic, symbolic things. The doctrines of baptisms. He's talking to Hebrews, he's talking to Jews, okay? And um, in the Old Testament there was a doctrine of baptism a little bit different than, than what we have here in the day of the New Testament. Those of you that have gone to Israel with me and those that are going will see this when we go back. Outside of the Temple Mount area, there were those baptismal areas. You know those little baptismal pools just all over the place there in Israel. Why, why were there baptismal pools before the church age? Around the temple. 
Because what would happen is when those Jews would come to the temple to worship, before they would go up onto the temple mount, they would go down to those ceremonial pools, and they would literally just go in there and wash the stench off them. They would wash their feet, they would ceremonially cleanse themselves before they went up to the house of God to worship. Now, we got rid of that practice. We don't require you to ceremonially cleanse yourself before we come. We hope you take your weekly bath on Saturday night before you come down here. We don't do that anymore. It was a religious practice. The, the, the practice of laying on of hands. What is, what's he talking about there? Well, when they would go up there, after they'd cleanse themselves, they would lay their hand on a sacrifice. And they would lay that hand as to agree and say, I'm transferring my sin to this sacrifice. Now this sacrifice is going to die for my sin. All religious practices. But we don't do that anymore. Because the New Testament has fulfilled that. And Titus 3, 5 says, It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing, what, of a ceremonial pool? No, the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So if you're going to grow in your walk with God, you've got to understand, number one, faith and repentance gets you saved. And then number two, you've got to get to this place in your mind where you understand, I'm no longer accepted by God on the basis of how good I am or, or what my church attendance record is or how much money I'm giving or how much I read my Bible or how much I pray. That's not, those are good things, but that's not what gets me accepted by God. I've been accepted because of the mercy of God, because Christ shed His blood on the cross for me. That's my, my, my basis for acceptance with God. We're not accepted by God on the basis of how good we can be or good works. That's called legalism. That's not why we're getting to God today. Then in verse 2, the, the animal sacrifice, the end of verse 2, he talks about the basic milk teachings of resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. What he's saying is he's saying you've placed your faith in the resurrected Christ. You can be sure now that you'll spend eternity with Him in heaven because He is resurrected and He's in heaven. At the end of verse 2, He says uh, the doctrine of eternal judgment. You believe that and get that behind you. Why? Because if you're saved, your eternal judgment has already taken place 2,000 years ago on a hill called Calvary. And listen, those are milk principles. Those are truth principles. Those are wonderful principles. I, listen, I ought to rejoice that I'm going to heaven. I ought to rejoice that I'm not going to hell. I ought to rejoice that Jesus Christ loved me enough to die for me and save for me, save me. But I'm not going to stop right there. I've got to believe there's more to salvation than just getting out of hell. Christ said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's not talking about when we get to heaven, you can have the abundant life now. Oh, Paul Harvey used to say on his daily radio show, he'd come to the end of one page of commentary, and then he would say, and now, page two. You remember that? You know, a lot of Christians are right there. It's time for immature Christians to turn the page and get on to the next page. Forsake immaturity and move forward in the, glory, uh, in the, in the path of the glory of God. Amen. Now, how are we going to do that? He says in verse 3, and this will we do if God permit he, the writer of Hebrews, he doesn't want to go back and take them through the first grade. By the way, that's going to slow everybody else down too. But we've got to pick up the pace, he says. He says, we're going to do it if God will permit it. What's, what's my part, preacher? There's got to be a want to in your life. You've got to get unsatisfied. Now, I'm satisfied with Jesus. I'm satisfied with the salvation. There's a lot that I am satisfied with. But we ought to get unsatisfied with some things. Unsatisfied with why we maybe hadn't won anybody to the faith in Christ that we claim is so precious. 
unsatisfied that we're still scared to go up and talk about our faith with our co-workers. Uh, unashamed to confront a sin or, 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 or afraid to confront a sin in our life. But we ought to get unsatisfied with those things. We ought to get unsatisfied. Move out of apathy. And say, oh God, I want to be like Paul and press toward the mark. We used to sing as kids. We don't hear it much anymore. Maybe in Bible school we ought to start singing it every Sunday. I think we need to hear it more. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. The the church today, we've lost the attitude of the militant church. We don't be militant about anything. We've got churches full of Christians that there's nothing militant about them. They get saved and just hunker down for heaven. And we're not going to do anything until we get to glory. And that's the reason why the church makes very little impact for the glory of God in the world around us. We've settled for a stagnant Christianity. Why would the world want that? John Wesley used to say, the preacher that was the founder of Methodism. He said, I pray before I get up and preach that God would just set me a fire and others would just come watch me burn. No stagnant in that, is there? We wonder why we don't have an impact like we used to. We don't burn brightly for Christ the way we used to. Most Christians are stuck somewhere between Egypt and the promised land. Egypt, the bondage, they get out of there. Promised land is that life God really wants you to have on this earth. In between is the wilderness, and for about 40 years they wander around in circles there trying to figure out what to do now that I've gotten saved. They're kind of like that Christian that is stuck between crucifixion day and resurrection day. They went to the cross to get saved, but they're kind of stuck somewhere between Friday and Saturday because they never went over here to the tomb to understand, I can now live in resurrected power. They miss it. They miss it. It's a sickness. And it doesn't have to stay there. I'm going to ask you this morning, if it's your sickness, and the Holy Ghost has taken and started just kind of pressing on that sore spot in your life and saying, hey, I'm talking to you. It's time to move on. It's time to get faithful. It's time to be in church with my family. It's time to start leading my family. It's time to start praying with my kids. It's time to start being the man of the house, the lady of the house. It's time to start doing what I'm supposed to do. It's time to step up and serve God in the church. It's time to be a soul winner and quit letting my family and friends die and go to hell while I've got the, the medicine. It's time to grow up. And if God says that to you today, just come and just, just admit to Him as I've done before. Just say, God, I've been everything. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I will move on. You'll do that. Thank you for joining us today. Pointing the Way is a ministry of Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. If you would like to contact the ministry, you may write Pointing the Way, 120 Northside Church Road, Dallas, Georgia, 30132. Or visit us on the web at www.northsidedallas.com. Until next time, open God's Word to point the way for direction in your life.